just like somebody would go for an annual checkup, women who are planning to get pregnant, they should have a particular set of tests done to make sure that they would be able to have a very healthy uh, pregnancy and postpartum life. Hello and welcome to Mother the Mother. I am McLean McGowan. This podcast is an offering for all women to gather energetically, sister to sister, mother to mother, to co-create a sacred space for healing, educating, and sharing as we journey through motherhood and womanhood. It is such an incredibly powerful moment in time to be a woman, and I thank you for showing up on behalf of yourself and for all of the women in your lives, past, present, and future, to honor our matriarchal lines, all who came before, and all who will come after. Hi everyone, thanks for tuning in today. I'm over the moon to have today's guest here in my home, Dr. Joe Taisuki. We call him Dr. Joe. And he is an amazing healer, doctor, body worker. He has been a key player in my healing postpartum from my first daughter, Jemima and on into motherhood and into my second pregnancy and postpartum. All my family goes to him. My husband goes weekly to him now and I take Jemima when she needs an adjustment. And Goldie's had, I believe, just one adjustment, but I will be taking her as she grows. And he really is such an amazing human, first of all, but healer in the regards that he views the entire system of the person and mind, body, and spirit. He sees it as a triangle, a triad, with really seeing it as equal sides. So the body isn't more important than the mind or more important than the spirit. He incorporates all of these different modalities into helping you be as balanced and healthy as you can. He has become a very popular body worker with pregnant mamas and postpartum because he also incorporates chiropractic work into his work on the body and helps you open up and prepare the body for birth. And then he helps bring the bones and the muscles and everything back into more alignment postpartum and after you've had the baby. And when I first went to Dr. Joe, it was a couple years after Jemima. And when I showed up to him, I really felt like a shell of a person. I was so worn out. Like I had zero reserves. I was anemic. I had complete adrenal fatigue. I just looked so depleted and exhausted. And I was a very happy mom. I loved being Jemima's mom. In my day-to-day, I was really happy. We were traveling a ton, which tanked my energy even more. You know, I didn't know that at the time. I was overdoing and I just, I didn't know better. And he really, really helped me come back into alignment in his physical work, but also in my spirit and body. My mom also comes to him now whenever she comes to town. And he is just a gym. He's a gym. He lives down, well, he works down the street from where I live. So even during early labor with Goldie Wolf, I walked over there and got an adjustment in between contractions, which really helped speed it up and like kick me into higher gear. Um, A little bit about his bio. He is a practitioner of functional and alternative medicine and an internationally recognized lecturer and health columnist. He is a descendant of several generations of acupuncturists. He has developed an approach that blends the best of cutting edge evidence-based medicine with ancient holistic principles to solve complex chronic conditions such as hormone imbalances, infertility, digestive disorders, and autoimmune conditions. So if you are listening and you have anything that has not been healed properly or really recognized within the allopathic system, he could be a great bridge because he knows so much about Western medicine, but through a more Eastern lens. He's from Japan. He's lived in LA for a while Um, And he grew up amongst acupuncture. So as a child, he was always treated with acupuncture instead of medicine. And he's a father and a husband, and he works a lot with my clients and my friends. And we, I just, I, I cannot say enough positive things about Dr. Joe. So 
I hope that you enjoy the listen as much as I did enjoy talking with him. And more of his information will be listed in the show notes. And I hope you enjoy the listen. Jay Ma. Hi, Dr. Joe. Thanks for being here. Hi. Uh, my pleasure being Thank here. You. Yeah. You're one of my favorite healers or body workers in LA. And as also many of our mutual friends, <laughs> I feel like everyone goes to Dr. Joe now. And I'm so grateful because I started going to you after the birth of Jemima, which must have been at least six and a half years ago. Has it been that long? I think so. Yeah. At least six, maybe six and a half. And yeah, when I was very postpartum and fatigued and mm-hmm. crashed adrenals and all of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you helped put me back together. Right, right, right. So thank you. Oh no, my pleasure. So just to get started, how mm-hmm. do you surmise or kind of tie in a couple of sentences how you work and what you do? Okay. So basically my view of health is a balance of three aspects of, we call it the triad of health, where the mind, body, and the biochemistry has to be well-balanced. Mm. And uh, if somebody's brain is not working, if there's overstressed or there's some kind of a psychological problem that they may be experiencing, their fight or flight response is going to be high. Their whole body may get tensed up. Their adrenal gland may be thrown off mm. and they may be going into adrenal stress. Or from the aspect of hormone or blood sugar level, for example, from the biochemistry point of view, if they are low in blood sugar, their fight or flight, their anxiety may go up, their whole body may tense up, and that could cause musculoskeletal condition as well. And if somebody may have a bad alignment, if they are in bad posture, that could also ignite their uh, mind not to be peaceful, uh, hormone not to be secreting as it's supposed to be. So I look at somebody's health and the triad of health, how are they balanced? And whatever part of their body they may not be um, or deficient or in excess, we try to support that as much as we can. Mm-hmm. So that's my you know, point of view of uh, somebody's health. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want to implement into my practice to make somebody feel better. Yeah. yeah. I love that because it's all the pieces. I mean, and everyone kind of throws that out of like mind, body, spirit, mm-hmm. but you really incorporate that all into your care, the chiropractic right. work. If people mm-hmm. are want that, mm-hmm. the, um, the vitamins, the supplements, and also the emotional component. Like right. you really pick up on that. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So we have long extent, not in a long, but um, there's questionnaires that we have our patients fill out. Mm-hmm. If they have had any blood chemistry done, I would t- like to take a look at that. If they have been in any physical trauma in the past, I would like to have a little bit of an idea of that too. So mm-hmm. MRI, X-ray, ultrasound, saliva test, stool test, um, you name it. I want all of that information to be accumulated into my file even before they come in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that I have a pretty good uh, picture of where their weakness may be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And whatever that they may be excess or deficient, we try to support it. Yeah. And as we were just discussing before we start started recording, you seem to work a lot with pregnant women and postpartum women. And I think a lot of it's just referral based, mm-hmm. but why do you think you have become that for so many women? Is it just that you look at the body in a very specific way that's open and less fearful maybe of working with pregnant women or how I'm just curious, like how you're able to make pregnant women feel so comfortable because I feel like a lot of healers aren't and people mm-hmm. are kind of scared to work with pregnant women. Right. I didn't start out marketing myself, right. um, catering to women per mm-hmm. se. Um, but I guess it's, it was just word of mouth. Mm-hmm. But I guess I give them um, a place that they feel comfortable. I give them a space that they can speak up whatever that they're feeling. I, mm-hmm. In the beginning of our session, I always tell them, whatever you feel uncomfortable, you got to let me know. Mm-hmm. Because um, our treatment and session is not going to be as effective if it is something that you're carrying within your mind that you're not telling me about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess I provide a space for a woman to really feel comfortable instead of, okay, this is what I do. This is what I'm going to push into you. And you just got to you know, yeah. stick with it. And that's 
completely the opposite of my stance. I want everything to come out of them and listen to them, support them, acknowledge, and then go in with their permission to treat them or provide supplements or do whatever. Because some people come from a standpoint of, oh, I'm not going to eat certain food. Mm-hmm. Okay, what is it? What, what's your concern? Let's talk about it. And maybe I would say, if this is what you want, it may be a slower progress. But if it is okay with you, let's, let's go by that. Mm-hmm. If it is a physical um, workout that I want them to do, what are their um, uh, challenges that they may be facing. We'll have that conversation. So I think it's, I give them an opportunity for them to, you know, uh, be comfortable with me. And I, I guess that kind of echoed with other moms um, mm-hmm. and that may have brought that yeah. to me. Yeah. yeah, it could be. I mean, just when you're saying that, I, I get kind of like teared up because that's such a different paradigm of health and healing, mm-hmm. you know, where, you know, we're not going to a doctor that already has an agenda of how they're going to quote unquote heal us. Right. Um, that also makes me laugh at myself because there have been so many times that I've come to you and I'm like, this is my plan. I'm on a raw fruit diet now. Yes. Or like, I'm going to run the marathon with a busted knee now. And you're like, okay, so let's figure out how I can support uh, Some people you. want to experiment. I support that I too, right? Although they may get depleted with protein. I go, okay, yeah. all right. But um, I'm here too. And some patients, they go, they're just not, open to my suggestion, but I still support them. Yeah. Right. And if Which we is can- really kind. And I, you know, I appreciate that so much, uh-huh. you know, because you just, are, you, you support from the way that like, I know you wouldn't be doing it, mm-hmm. but you're going to facilitate my journey. Right. As best you can. Right. Right. I make the best suggestion I can. And I'm open when they come back and say, it really didn't work yeah. out or if they, but the, the, the idea is I'm also welcoming the idea that it may have worked. It may. Mm-hmm. And I'm open to that. Yeah. Right. Somebody may say I would try this wicked, you know, diet plan. And I'm like, I've never heard of this, but you got to let me know how it goes. Mm-hmm. Because if it does, I really have to research more into it and understand what it is the biomechanical uh, or uh, biochemical pathway that may have worked. Right. Mm-hmm. So it gives me an opportunity to dig in a little bit more if it does work. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So you're a father of two daughters. Yes. And you're married to a woman. So you have yes. a wife. Yes. So what has that been like? And how did you support your wife as she went through her journey of pregnancy and postpartum? Got it. So my older daughter's 14, younger one's 12. They're both girls. So I wasn't, I wasn't seeing that many um, uh, women as much as I am seeing right now who are in postpartum, you know, uh, prenatal. But what I wanted to make sure with my wife is that she has the right amount of nutrient. She's going to get the supportive care structurally um, because during the process of giving birth, woman's body does go through a lot. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I just wanted to make sure that she's going to have as least possible trauma that she would go through mentally and physically during the process of birth. Um, So what I did was making sure that her cranial activity is fine, her pelvis is nice and mobile, pubic symphysis, uh, pelvic outlet would open up as easily as possible. So thankfully, during her first birth, um, I'm trying to recollect, it's been 14 years now, um, But yeah, she just pushed about two or three times and the baby was out. But the the thing was, we were kind of rushed because there were four other moms um, in the peak of their labor also. So the nurse came in and said, okay, so when the doctor comes in, you really have to push it out. (laughs) Otherwise, he's not going to be back for another possibly 30 minutes. I go, okay, okay, honey, we got to get ready. You got to push out and... You know, let's see how that's going to turn out. And that went well. Wow. So that was the uh, the first uh, birth. And then after she gave birth, I wanted to make sure that she's going to be in good posture. She's going to hydrate well. She was taking some calcium pills and all the other um, prenatal, postnatal uh, supplements. Um, and, uh, you know, the, their nursing posture, you know, mm-hmm. putting double boppy and being able to fall asleep while she's giving, mm-hmm. you know, Uh, nursing the baby, all the posture that needs to be in good. um, It was great. And then through that journey, I was able to help out other newly um, new moms that the posture that you should be in Mm -hmm. um, while you're rocking the baby or when you're even 
sleeping, whole sleeping, for example, and the side posture that you're going to be in. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that journey in itself was uh, very helpful for my yeah. practice as well. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's so hard when you're in it and you're just wanting it just to happen. You just want the baby on there getting the food. And, you know, we suffer because we're just not paying attention to right. her. Form. Right. Right. And a lot of times when one number one thing that I um, tell my patients when they're newly moms is just don't keep looking at your baby nursing. Mm-hmm. Otherwise you're having your head down, down as cute as they are. You have to get your head upright. Yeah. yeah so that's one of the main things. I, I still know. feel like I'm in that zone, you know, even though my baby's <laughs> a year and a half, it's still right. always looking down. Looking down. Like, yeah. And then was it a similar birth with the second? Second one. So it was my wife's option, whether to have um, epidural or not. Mm-hmm. And I supported that she wanted yeah. Mm-hmm. And the second time, or even for the first time, to be honest, it didn't work. Really? <laughs> so for the second time, she says, okay, for this time, I'm going to have some time. I'm going to chill out. I'm going to get all the epidural work as it's supposed to. And I'm going to have a good time. And then <laughs> I'm going to enjoy the birth. And then unfortunately, it didn't work the second time either. Um, and we called the, uh, the anesthesiologist. Anesthesiologist was already in the OR. There, he, we weren't able to get a hold of him. And luckily, her doctor came in to help her. And she said, basically, okay, honey, just push and let the wave come to you. Then you're not going to feel as much pain. Mm-hmm. And I think it was after fourth push that she gave delivery yeah. to my second daughter. Yeah. And that seems to be the consensus right now. Everybody who has had their pelvis nicely uh, adjusted the, so that the pelvic outlet is going to open as it should, mm-hmm. they're not going to be in that bad of a labor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They seem to be able to push smoothly, just breathe into it and they're able to pop the baby out. I just wish every woman had that to be able to get chiropractic care because it's so yeah, important. It's, it's really important. huge, especially mm-hmm. if you've been misaligned your whole life and then you're pregnant on top of it and you've never gotten adjusted. Right. And to be in a state where the baby mm-hmm. just doesn't want to come out and they end up getting C-section. Yeah. Yeah. That's, if it's, it's something that could be avoided. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Um, so you're Japanese. What, what are births like in Japan? I mean, I know that's a general question, but it's mostly in hospital. Yeah. Or home birth or... We have a combination. Mm. I really didn't research about this, but um, my understanding is epidural is a very foreign thing still. That's what uh, I've, I've heard and read about. Right. And you just have to tough it out sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of out, couple of days. Mm. Yeah. And uh, it sounds quite rural. So a lot of my patients who are Japanese comes over here and, you know, they're just so happy to hear the, all these options too <laughs> right. yeah. of the degree of epidural that you can have. And right. I had one patient who just hated to be in any kind of pain and mm-hmm. said, I want zero pain. And they were able to provide that for her too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, I mean, that's such a key point is, and that's something I love to talk about is like, there's no good and bad. It's just you having the education and the choices right. and not having some other person implement their thoughts on your own body. Mm-hmm. So that's huge. Yeah, if you keep researching, there's always pros and cons about this. Of course, yeah. But you just have, as a woman, you just have to make your best judgment yeah. and go with it. Mm-hmm. And maybe the second time around, when you have your second one, maybe you'll say, oh, that first idea just didn't work. We'll yeah. do something else. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. every baby's so different too. I mean, mm-hmm. every every birth is so, so different. Yeah. And then is there much of a postpartum tradition in Japanese culture? As far as the foods in the first 40 days and things like that? Yeah. So um, I'm just saying this from memory, but it almost looks as though women are in the hospital for good two weeks or more. Whoa. If I remember right. Or maybe wow. that, that, has, that has changed mm-hmm. now. So culturally, when a woman marries a man, basically women takes care not only of her husband, but frequently of the husband's parents mm. also. So it could be in the culture where they would give the woman, okay, so now you get a little bit break. Right. You're getting ready to give birth. Why don't you come over to the hospital and we'll just you know, take care of you, mm. eat well. We'll show you how to change the diaper, how to nurse. So I think that's, it, it, it was in the whole program mm-hmm. in, in Japan. 
Um, and after they gave birth, I think they, you know, supported them. And then when everything is ready, they would leave the hospital. Mm-hmm. So it's not like here where you go in, give birth, you get out and, you know, yeah, that's not how the it. system in Japan mm-hmm. works. There, It's a lot more supportive. That's great. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. So what actually got you on this path of this work? Were you in LA or were you in Japan when you started doing this work or Got it. how did you start? So I think it way it started could be related to what my parents were doing. Both of my parents were acupuncturists. Oh, I didn't yeah. know. That. So I was raised in, in my father's clinic was basically right next to, or it was by my home. So as a kid walking in and out of their clinic, I always saw people, you know, walking in and pain and suffering mm-hmm. and they walk out with, and, um, being very appreciative of how much, how much they feel better. How amazing they, to grow up like that. Oh That's yeah. So cool. Yeah. And I didn't really realize that was a great opportunity mm-hmm. until I really left home when I was 16. That's when I came to the U S and, um, I studied uh, a lot of science. I was involved in the surgical um, uh, research also. Mm. And the more and more I got into that, I started to understand how lucky I was to be, uh, to grow up not using that much medicine. Mm. Yeah. Even if I were to have some kind of uh, Mm. um, uh, outbreak, my father would provide acupuncture. I had asthma as I was growing up. Mm. And they would provide me uh, acupuncture therapy so that I would feel much better. Mm. Um, so I think that's part of it where I want to help people. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and as I was getting into more science, I wanted to know a little bit more about how the body works from a quantitative perspective. And um, acupuncture... Back when I was um, in college, it really didn't ring a bell that much um, because everything was empirical. It wasn't, I just didn't know that there was a lot of science involved in acupuncture Mm. when I was going to school. So I kind of wanted to study more about research. And um, as I was uh, going through my uh, university years, for one reason or another, another mode of treatment is chiropractic. Mm. And I just started to learn more about it. And, and then a, a lot of people know about chiropractic as musculoskeletal neck pain, lower back pain. Mm-hmm. But when I was going to school, there was um, a technique that really incorporated the mental, the biochemistry and the structural um, aspect of health. And that's where I really started to dig in more and more into this. Um, and I guess this is where I am right now. Mm. Where yeah. did you go to college? Where I went to, um, for university, I went to UC Irvine. Oh, cool. Right. And then they had the UC Irvine Medical Center. So I spent about a good year there uh, working with a thoracic mm. surgeon. Wow. Yeah, that was a great experience also. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, after that, I went to LACC, um, Los Angeles College of Chiropractic. I think the name of the university has changed since then. Mm. Yeah. And how do you speak with people who are fearful of chiropractic? I feel like, you know, people go to people that are not qualified and then get really scared of it forever. Where Mm -hmm. I see chiropractic as just such an incredible tool. I mean, Mm -hmm. it just... It makes me feel like I'm naturally high when I leave getting an adjustment from you. It's just like everything is, everything is good and in its place, its proper place. Right. So how do you speak to that when people are fearful? So when people are fearful, I ask them why they're fearful. Mm. Did they have any bad experience in the past? Have, have they been hurt in the past? Have they heard a lot of news about um, bad stories about chiropractic killing people? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I, number one, I want to know where their standpoint is. And then they may say uh, just the whole, the mere fact of that cracking sound coming up, my neck just gives them, you know, fear. So I mm-hmm. explain every step of the way. And um, we were having this conversation a little earlier, but um, when I touch my patient's neck or when I place my hand on their body, um, 
there's a way that you can sense how tense they are, mm. right? You can look into their eyes and see if they're fearful or they're anxious or they're completely relaxed. Mm-hmm. So I kind of tune into their body, nonverbal uh, messages and see if it is, if they are ready or not. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so for example, if somebody comes in and tells me that uh, I just don't want my neck adjusted, I welcome that. And sometimes I don't have to do a neck adjustment. And recently I haven't been doing that much neck adjustment because, or the audible adjustment that a lot of people are, are they know of because cranial adjustment may clear on its own. Mm. Um, doing some tapping work can clear on its own too. So there's different ways to approach that, but I give them a uh, space where they can speak up and let me know what it is that they're fearful of. Mm-hmm. And if they tell me that, no, it's not good, but I rarely have my patients say, no, I can't do an adjustment if it is necessary. I just let them know every step of the way, this direction I'm going to be pushing, and I'm going to gradually increase the amount of pressure that I'm applying. You let me know if you're comfortable. Yeah. And majority of the time they say yes. Yeah. Well, also (laughs) they know how good it feels. They're like, it's fine. Just keep going. Yeah. So later on, they, they, when they had my first adjustment, they go, yeah, I wouldn't have let anybody else mm-hmm. do this, but I'm very comfortable. So there's a whole dialogue that I have even before I adjust my patients. I yeah. talk about their whole history of what they've been through, the challenges that they may faced. So I try to make them as comfortable as possible mm-hmm. even before I do an adjustment. And for people that don't know what tapping is, how do you... Explain that and also use it in your work. Right. So tapping is a very interesting way of accessing subconscious or it's basically a meridian therapy. I use it more in the aspect of if there is a neurological condition that may be upsetting them. I find a certain point that would relax the nervous system. Um, and in my work, it's not only the emotional factor, but I also look into parameters such as blood pressure, um, heart rate, and by applying a certain amount of, uh, tapping to a certain point on their face, um, somebody who may have had high blood pressure can come down, uh, and what I've been finding recently is something called an orthostatic hypotension, where you stand up, your blood pressure would tank. Um, once I do some tapping, their um, uh, blood pressure would go up, with, which is what it's supposed to. And so that sometimes is an indicator of how your autonomic nervous system is working. Mm. Yeah. So, it, you know, it, tapping, you know, it's been applied in a lot of different ways, but um, that's how I would utilize in my practice. I love tapping and I have a couple of books on it. I just, you know, it's one more thing to, <laughs> to delve into with the time I don't have. Um, but I sometimes get hung up on all the, um, verbal prompts. Do you feel like that's a really key, important aspect of it? Yeah. Yeah. So that's the, that's the thing. Um, it really depends on the context that we use it. Mm -hmm. So with majority of my patients, I don't even have them talk about it. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So that's a very different way than what's been, um, become really popular right now. Mm -hmm. Um, um, self-acceptance is always important, but the tapping that I use is a little bit different. Um, it's not the concept that they may need to get congruent with, mm. um, but I use it more from an acupuncture meridian perspective. Yeah, but when I do work with the subconscious, yes, I do have them either verbalize it or have them think about it. Think about yeah. it. Yeah, and I have my patients think about it more so than verbally saying it to me. Yeah. I think um, I'm going to start doing that because... It takes me out when I'm trying to come up with all the prompts and mm-hmm. remember the points. Mm-hmm. So I like to know that makes me feel better that I can just actually use the points more like meridian points, like acupuncture right. Right. and activate it. Right. Because it then, really does. I feel like if you're a real sensitive body person, it's uh-huh. very effective. Mm-hmm. Quickly, yeah. And the emotional state that you're in is really important. Mm-hmm. And as you keep tapping it, and if you feel that your tension, whatever tension that you were carrying with that thought or that feeling, when you feel that subsides, that's the key element. So in my practice, I use muscle testing to see um, if it has been effective or not, but mm-hmm. uh, you can do that on your own too. Yeah, just to be able to reassess um, whatever pain you may be feeling or emotional upset that you're uh, feeling, you can reassess that after the tapping. So it's 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 good. Can you do muscle testing on yourself, or do you always need someone else to do your arm? Um, I don't muscle test on my own. Yeah, yeah. 
seems hard. <laughs> Some of them like, Jemima, check my arm. Is, is this good for me to eat? She's like, I don't know, Bobby. Yeah, the practitioner and the, the individual who's getting tested has to be in a calibrated state. Mm, yeah. So, yeah. So one thing I wanted to ask is what are the main or the most popular, I guess, issues that you see in your practice for postpartum women? For postpartum women... Um, I would say fatigue mm. and low back pain. Mm. Those would be the two symptoms that I frequently have my patients come in and they want to get well and back to work, for example, as soon as possible. Um, but obviously some people may have had a difficult birth and their low back just keeps aching. The inner thigh muscle mm-hmm. is really painful sometimes and we need to work the musculoskeletally. But because of certain uh, hormone that may be disrupted, the healing process may take a little bit more time. Uh, ligament may be overstretched and reconditioning is going to be another important part of it too. Mm-hmm. And that's where I always emphasize that you have to be in a good nutritional state when you before you get pregnant yeah so that you're not going to be as depleted and you'll enjoy raising and nursing your child after giving birth totally right so you have to prepare yourself before you get pregnant so that you you will be in a good state of mind and body yeah um, and that's so anti to how most of us we're raised or kind of the societal norm is to go crazy with what you eat. It's actually the time to be the healthiest you've ever been yeah. is before you get pregnant. And exactly. When you're pregnant. Right. Um, Instead of being surprised, oh, I'm pregnant. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which I mean, honestly, like over half of us were conceived yes, as yes, a surprise. Yes. Yeah, but not a lot, a lot of people would, you know, prepare to be pregnant. Right. Right. So yeah. it's a little bit different. Yeah. And it is for any woman listening, it is such a gift when you can, give that to yourself because you're really setting yourself up for success mm-hmm. to think, okay, you know, maybe in the next year or two, I'm going to think about wanting to get pregnant. And now is the time to really cleanse, you know, everything emotionally, spiritually, physically, all yeah. of it. There's a lot of technologies out there mm-hmm. now, instead of, you know, being in the fifties and sixties where people, women were still smoking uh, mm-hmm. while they were pregnant, things have changed since then. Yeah. Now we can, um, bring a lot of attention to your body and we are able to assess your degree of health now. So I highly recommend that, you know, people would do that. And just like somebody would go for an annual checkup, mm-hmm. women who are planning to get pregnant, they should have a particular set of tests done to make sure that they would be able to have a very healthy uh, pregnancy and postpartum life. Yeah. And get that baseline, you know, so oh, then yeah. you can refer back. And I was speaking with a woman the other day who's um, a coach and works a lot with pregnant women and postpartum women. And she was saying, which I thought is such a good idea, is even if you don't necessarily have a lot of depression or anxiety, it's still a good idea to meet with a therapist when you're pregnant. So you have a baseline of kind of what your quote unquote normal is. Mm -hmm. And especially if you do have those issues or it runs in your family and you're worried about having postpartum anxiety or depression, it's great to have that marker, which I thought, I mean, I thought about that, but then to actually have a clear plan of doing Mm -hmm. that, I thought was so smart. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Really, really smart. Do you feel like you see a lot of adrenal fatigue and anxiety, postpartum anxiety, depression? All the time. Yeah. Yeah. All the time. Do you see more anxiety than depression? I think it's a good half and half or sometimes it's a combination. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And it's kind of a cycle. Yeah. Yeah. For a lot of people. And, um, you know, once you get into the state of um, catering to the newborn baby, you always lose sight of yourself Mm -hmm. and you just get so depleted. And the frequent comment that I hear from um, new moms are, I just don't have time for myself. Mm-hmm. I hardly have time to even eat. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, you're not doing the service for your baby too. If you're not feeling well, the, you, know, yeah. you can't uh, give your fullest attention to the baby. So yeah. And um, 
so coming back to depression and anxiety, and you mentioned that, um, how you can sort of prepare yourself. Um, two big tests that I would recommend at this point would be vitamin D and uh, omega-3 index. Mm. Yeah, and there's been a research, especially from 2014 and on, how vitamin D depression uh, uh, depletion can be related to uh, postpartum depression mm. yeah and omega-3 if you're low in it that's also linked to that um sometimes Which makes sense yeah and there was a research out that the low vitamin d can lead into higher chance of c-section mm. yeah. interesting yeah there's a lot of great research that's coming out i like to read more about that because i feel like so many women now i mean all of my friends that i talk to when they go get labs everyone's vitamin d deficient mm-hmm. if i don't supplement i am right right so bringing about vitamin D, I'm going to kind of tap in a little bit yeah, more about please. that. Um, so some people may see that they have low vitamin D. Um, once you do start taking a supplement, check it again, mm. right? Check it again, because let's see if that amount is the right amount for you. Right. Let's say your vitamin D level comes out to be about 20. That's a little bit in the low end. And they say, okay, take this amount, whether it be 2,000 or 5,000 IU, take that amount in about a few months, retest See if it is up to 30, 35, 40, 45. And you got to do that because now we're understanding that some people do have difficulty absorbing vitamin mm, D. So mm-hmm. just because you take it doesn't mean that you're going to be replenishing enough for yourself. Right. right. So even if you do get a blood test done for vitamin D and realize that you have deficiency, make sure you retest. Even if you realize that you're vitamin D deficient before um, getting pregnant or after getting uh, pregnant, Make sure you test it again. Make sure you bring it up because there's a genetic uh, uh, test that uh, um, a lot of people are not getting the 23andMe done. And there's a uh, vitamin VDR. And if you have some kind of a polymorphism, you may have difficulty absorbing vitamin D than somebody Mm. else. So your uh, amount may be double, triple the amount that somebody else may require. So that's one thing that I would suggest some parents to, okay. or yeah, we're all so specific. Do. I mean, that's the thing. We all need this individualized care. Right. And then as far as postpartum testing, when do you recommend like a three month or is it better to wait till a six month? I mean, unless there's obviously some big issue, but just for self care, what, when is a good time to do that? I think it all depends on how they're feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If they're feeling nice and vibrant and full of energy, um, is it really I know necessary? zero new moms that feel that way. What's that? <laughs> I know zero new moms that feel that way. Yeah. Well, um, checking the hormone level, whatnot. I mean, look into, it also depends on how the numbers were before you got pregnant or right. while you were pregnant also. Okay. So I think it's, uh, it's all situational. Yeah. So for example, for me, by the time I got to you, I was so anemic. My adrenals were tanked. I ended up having the methylfolate mutation, which is very common now, which I did not know pregnant. I was taking the wrong kind of mm-hmm. folate, folic acid, which would make me so sick. Mm-hmm. And it really took me, I feel like a couple of years to heal. Mm-hmm. And I know that's really tough for women to hear that because when you're in it, years just sounds so horrific. Mm-hmm. Um do you see that it takes years with a lot of people or, I mean, what do you feel like the postpartum healing looks like for a so, lot of people? So let's, let's talk about the, uh, the MTHFR methylfolic mm-hmm. uh, problem. Um, some people may have a genetic uh, issue of not being able to absorb or utilize um, folic acid into a bioavailable form. Mm-hmm. And one test that, um, a lot of the functional medicine doctors are utilizing now is called homocysteine. And even if the homocysteine level is, so let's take it one step at a time. So if the homocysteine level is really high, then there are certain supplements you can take to lower that. And basically what it does is that elevated homocysteine is linked to cardiovascular problem, heart attack, but depression, anxiety, mm. your ability to detox. Some <clears throat> people do associate with other illnesses, autoimmune conditions as well. Mm-hmm. Your thyroid, for example. Um, so evaluating that, you know, before you get pregnant or even after you get pregnant is really important. Huge. It affects um, so many things. Right. Um, but just because your homocysteine level is normal doesn't always indicate that your methylation process is going well 
also. Right. So there's so many different factors that mm-hmm. science is starting to unveil right now. Is it more B12 that you have to concentrate more or is mm-hmm. it more um, the folic acid or is it more B6? So there's so many different factors that's involved. Mm-hmm. It's just not one one supplement is going to work for everybody. Yeah. And to find that right concoction for each individual may take little different Mm -hmm. but for some patients you just give one combination of good uh, methylation product they just feel fabulous so everybody is different Mm -hmm. that's all I can say do you have any thoughts surrounding that condition MTHFR and the lip and tongue ties so yeah, you, I remember you mentioned mm-hmm. about that, and uh, I need to research a little bit more. I do re- too. Re- I just thought I'd ask that. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> My craniosacral magic maker, Dr. Mora, who will also be on this podcast, um, she has seen more of that. Mm-hmm. So I was just curious. I mean, right. I think it's a big rabbit hole of research to go down and, right. and look at. But. So the question that I would start to ask, um, I mean, with this mind the question that I have in my mind when I start researching is if that it's really an epidemic that we're Mm -hmm. experiencing, is it the food that we're currently eating or is it um, a dominant trait genetically speaking that more and more people are having this methylation problem? Yeah. Those are the the questions that I would have. Is it the depletion of the mother that's causing the child to have this issue? Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, and it's really interesting to think about anthropologically because the ties are creating such latch issues and feeding problems, which, you know, 500 years ago or even a couple hundred, like that's a big problem when you don't have formula and bottles and a pump, you know? So, yeah, yeah, it's so interesting because my mom has it as well. Mm. And I have not done the testing with Jemima, but I wouldn't be surprised because she has the the lip and tongue tie, which we didn't know. So we didn't, Mm -hmm. we didn't, um, fix, you know, quote unquote, fix that when she was a baby, but Goldie did get the okay. revisions. Good. So it's just interesting. I think you've done the, uh, the genetic testing too, right? Mm-hmm. And the results about to come out or it's already out? For Jemima or me? Um, for all of you. I don't think we've done Goldie. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I need to look it into David, yeah. David handles all that. <laughs> the nerdy tech science yeah. stuff. Yeah. Thank yeah. goodness. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I feel like the, with at least my clients, I see so much more postpartum anxiety, mm-hmm. but obviously with that anxiety and then lack of sleep and lack of nutrition, you're fucking depressed because you feel horrible and you're, yes. you're not sleeping. So it looks a lot like depression, but then as you, you know, heal and get a little bit better, you can see it's more the anxiety and mm-hmm. just being hyper vigilant. And I mm-hmm. think it's also our culture, which is creating that this perfect mom syndrome. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the, the dark side of the fact that we have all this education now and resources, but then there's this pressure to be doing it all so perfectly. Right. So how do you help new moms kind of figure out how to navigate that? Is it, right. is it a lot supplements? Right. So the number one thing that I would look into, are they actually experiencing hypoglycemia? Are their blood sugar level just getting tanked? Mm-hmm. That's where I would start Okay. Um, to see where their HbA1c, which is a long-term blood sugar level test, um, where that is, um, fasting glucose test, how that is, the amount of protein that they have mm-hmm. within their body is extremely important as well because protein has a buffer system. Um, of um, uh, keeping your blood sugar level consistent. Mm -hmm. Triglyceride level is going to be very important too. So if any one of those pieces are missing, go from the nutrient first, right? That's easy. You just have to take a certain thing and that part of the missing piece would be replenished. Mm -hmm. Start there and then move on to sleeping. If If the baby is not sleeping, then I would start to talk about why the baby is not sleeping. I had one patient came in and told me that, um, I just can't sleep because the baby's not sleeping at all, only mm. to find out that she was drinking decaf coffee, right? So <laughs> wow, we have to have a very up. long conversation to really extract that information, what it is that they may be doing that they're just not sleeping. Wow. Yeah. If the baby doesn't sleep and the mom just doesn't sleep, it's just a neg- negative spiral for them, yeah. the mom. So we also talk about how we can induce sleep for them the baby as well. And every baby is so different because every I mean, I different. definitely did coffee <laughs> with both of my kids. Uh-huh. Like, and they slept. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah. in the morning I would have one cup. That was, you know, it, but I mean, I definitely have to have caffeine. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it's not great. I'm not proud of it, <laughs> but they were fine. Right. But other babies and systems They're are super so sensitive. sensitive. Like right. my friends that can't eat anything mm-hmm. except like salmon and zucchini. Yeah. For and there and could months. be a genetic connection to that too. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's different. So um, yeah, nutrition first, then make sure the baby is doing fine. And then let's see what we can do for the mom. Do you have a specific diet that you think is the healthiest? I don't think there is a healthiest diet, but balanced nutri- nutrition is always nice. And I'm, I'm not always an um, advocate of being vegan. Right. If you do it right and if all the test looks fine, mm-hmm. I welcome that. But um, it's just that. Um, too many people are doing it the wrong way. Right. Yeah. So um, I don't have the diet for everybody. Yeah. yeah. But I would start off by being, you know, having a very balanced diet. And if they would say, well, there's, there's something about meat that I just don't feel well. Mm-hmm. I just feel icky or my stomach gets bloated by eating meat out. Then the conversation is more going to be, let's see, figure out why it is that you're feeling that way. Mm-hmm. It may just be that she, that patient may not be secreting enough digestive enzymes. They may have um, sensitivity to sulfur. Um, There's so many different variables. Right. Yeah. So for me, that is predominantly vegan. Um, you know, that's, that's one of my biggest, just things to be aware of. I do a lot of legumes and soups mm-hmm. and lentils and I did protein powder mm-hmm. pregnant. And I actually did add eggs, which I usually don't like eggs at all, but I did do hard boiled eggs when I was mm-hmm. pregnant. I think it's also so important for women just to honor what their cravings are, you mm-hmm. know, and then make healthy choices around those. Right. But postpartum, I definitely upped my fats, yes. which I mean, Again, obviously all of these things are people that always, that say no fat, no fat's mm-hmm. healthy. But I mean, I know my midwife really was very preachy and wanted me to eat a lot more fat, nut butters, avocado, mm-hmm. things like that for the milk, especially mm-hmm. and for healing. How do you feel about that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I agree with that. More fat, the better, the good fat, yeah. the better it is. Okay. Right. And then again, checking the triglyceride level, it will be an indicator if you're having enough or not. Right. And a lot of us do. I mean, I've I've fallen into that category. I think it's my gallbladder where fats make me ill. I mean, really, right. you know, I used to never be able to eat French fries or anything, which is not, I mean, <laughs> it's not horrible that I can't eat fried food most uh-huh. of the time, but it's, it's your body's telling you something. Right. But, you know, nut butters also are saving grace, especially for moms that have no appetite mm-hmm. or are really in that fight or flight and over adrenalized postpartum. Mm-hmm. I'll just say, even if you can't eat a meal, just have spoonfuls of peanut butter or almond butter during right. the night. Just have something. Right. Right. Because the fat really does. I feel like it grounds the nervous system as right. well because everyone's so vata after you have right. a baby. Right. So one marker um, that I always suggest uh, women to look into is cholesterol. We mm-hmm. always label cholesterol as something bad. Right. But if you think about it, estrogen, testosterone, progesterone, right? Even cortisol, the whole precursor for that is cholesterol. Mm. If you don't have enough cholesterol, you're not going to be able to have enough reproductive hormone. You don't, you're not going to have enough um, adrenal function to support yourself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, fat-free, okay, fine. Then how, how much? Right. Right. And then a lot of women, when you do totally fat-free for a long time, you don't have a period. Right. I mean, that was, I had that when I was a, you know, teen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then my period You've for been a there, year. Done that, huh? Been there, done that. <laughs> Um, do you work on babies and children? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Um, I always welcome my patients who came in to see me during their pregnancy. I always welcome to come, have them come back after birth as soon as possible. Mm. And, uh, if the chance does allow to bring the baby also, Mm -hmm. um, birthing itself is a very traumatic in a way, um, process for the baby. Um, and when they go through the, um, mom's womb um there's a lot of pressure that goes into the neck and the way the um the doctor may pull the baby's head there may be a little bit of twist that goes into the neck also um so checking the cranial tension the neck tension um, and the whole 
body tension, it's really important to have it evaluated, especially if the baby's colicky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's always very nice to have them. And I've I've had baby who has not been able to sleep just by laying my finger on their neck. I just feel a little bit of uh, soft tissue movement, and the the baby just drops asleep mm. at, at that moment. Incredible. So it's quite interesting what we see. So interesting, right? Especially for this baby that do have colic and the parents are just beside themselves because they don't know what is happening. Right. And they're so exhausted. Right. And it can just be that one little thing. Right. It could make a big know? difference. And I'm seeing a lot of babies with reflux. Are you seeing more reflux than normal? Or I don't know. Like sometimes things just go through trends, but I'm seeing a lot with my clients. There's more reflux than normal. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm really recommending a lot of craniosacral. I mean, I think every baby should get some work or some body work oh, yeah. anyway. Yeah. Body work is very important yeah. for all babies, newborn babies. Mm-hmm. Um Maybe it's due to the the food that the parents may be, the mom may be consuming mm-hmm. and maybe the, the the microbiome in the gut may be a bit, little bit different too. Uh, there's been a research of how, what the, uh, the baby is born with, the microbiome that they may carry during their birth mm-hmm. really distinguishes how much asthma they may have, autoimmune condition that yeah. they may have also. Yeah. Yeah. And that's also is a reflection of the ba- mom's microbiome mm-hmm. is reflected to the baby too. So maybe there's a disruption in the mom's microbiome causing the baby to have reflux. Maybe there's something to do that too. Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. And then also, what were the interventions? Was there a C-section? Right. Were there antibiotics? You know, a lot of right. women are given the antibiotics right, right. before labor. Right. So that could like change your, their ability to digest. Yeah. Yeah, could be. Well, thank you so much. Like <laughs> no, we, my pleasure. <laughs> we covered a good bit, but there's always more. So I hope you'll come back. Oh, yeah, I will. But I thank nice. you so much for being here and being open to it and being such an amazing healing force in my family. Mm. We all have come to you and continue to go to you. Yes, your mom, Jemima. We'll see Goldie sometime soon. I know, I need to bring her in soon. And and David, I was trying to get him to see you for five years and now he's the one that goes every week, which <laughs> is incredible. I know. Yeah. yeah. So thank you. Thank you I very much I appreciate you me. and your work so much. Likewise. Bye. Jai Maa Jai Maa Jai Maa